Spectre Cinema Club number 139, Demi Adejuebe on Letterboxd says, Are you kidding me with this shit? This movie fucking rules. Loved it beginning to end, had heard the ending was insanely good, and yes it is, but I honestly love the kitschy, soapy, procedural feel of the beginning too, before it went all sicko mode. Need me a little freak like Gabriel. If I see James Wan in public, it's on sight. Parentheses, kissing on the mouth. <laughs> Hello, hello. Welcome back to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror subgenre. I am your co-host, Garrett McDowell. Sitting across from me virtually this week, it's Mr. Devon Taylor. Hello, hello. We are back and we are closing out our celebration of camp here for Pride Month, uh, third third edition of Pride coverage here on the podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's always sad when it comes to an end, but then, you know, we, uh, we definitely picked the correct movie to go out on a bang on uh, yes, for sure. Did. And then, of course, that always leads into um, a new month, which is exciting. So these uh, these these last episodes of the month are like kind of my favorite usually because mm -hmm. of uh, of that nature. And uh, it's also the uh, last episode that I'll be recording here in um, a Spectre Cinema Studio, North Hollywood. Um, so so you know, a nice transitionary uh, time right now. Devon, you didn't tell me that the last time I was there would be the last time that I was there. So now I'm getting uh, all nostalgic for, you know, I, I need a I need like a funeral montage, black and white, you know, to like all of the, the, the staples at Devon's North Hollywood apartment. So uh, I'm going to miss you. It was a good soldier. Yeah, we, we, we did. A, I would say because I mean, between the ones I, I would say the ones that we've recorded in person, we did at least 30 episodes here, uh, if not more. Um, so yeah, a Man. good, a good chunk of, uh, ones that we got to do and, you know, always miss that. But then, uh, you know, we'll, uh, have some new in-person vibes. Uh, I know you're moving, I'm moving. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll see, um, where it is, but this is the last one I'll be doing in a zoom form here. Um, mm. but, um, very excited, uh, to close it out talking, uh, one of my, uh, a new all-time fave, honestly, uh, talking malignant. And of course, had to bring a uh, a fellow Gabriel Stan in for this one. She is the lead gaming critic for Blade Disgusting, as well as a contributor to Fangoria, and was uh, heard previously on the uh, first coverage of uh, Pride-centric uh, episodes, uh, Talking Sexy Vampires. Welcome back to the show, Reina Cervantes. Hello, hello. I can't believe I get to close out Pride Month with y'all. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't uh, think of uh, a, a better guest. Uh, of, of course, we always uh, try to uh, load these uh, months up with extra guests, and uh, and always get uh, some returning people back into the fold. So very excited to have you back on here for uh, such a momentous uh, film to be chatting about today. One that mends lots of subgenres. Uh, something we love here on the podcast. So, uh, what are some of your favorite subgenres in horror? Jesus, that's a that's a loaded question. That's like asking which child is my favorite. <laughs> um, I got to be real, though. Uh, I would say number one that shoots right to the top of my head is uh, body horror. Just like anything like by Cronenberg, stuff like Martyrs, Raw, just anything with just lots of goop and body parts being ripped apart 
is just something I'm super into as far as sub subgenres go. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Malignant kind of delivers a lot on the body horror front, if I'm being quite honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely plenty uh, to get into there. And I mean, Body Horror, another pretty popular uh, pick that comes up in here, uh, up there with Slashers as far as uh, some of the more popular uh, the subgenres, you know, because it Body Horror for me is one of my all-time favorites as well because it does encapsulate so well. Like, it even is like a branch off of horror, but then Body Horror uh, kind of has its own branches, you know. Uh, whether yeah. it be, you know, um, scientific stuff, whether it be biological, medical based, uh, you know, or sometimes, you know, fantasy cosmic uh, as well. So it's like, uh, you know, body horror is also its own like kind of really big branch off of horror. Yeah, body horror is also like this nice little seasoning that plays really well with so many other subgenres that I, I feel like once you throw that in, it's almost, you know, uh, to the nth degree gets crazier. I think of like, you know, Invasion mm -hmm. of the Body Snatchers is like your typical alien invasion movies mixed with this, you know, really disturbing, uh, gross body horror that kind of gives those movies just really fun, you know, uh, fun, unique flavors that I think uh, only really you can find in horror. Yeah, and I always say that body horror can talk about any social issue at all, whether it's body ontomity or the value of art. Like, body horror is one of the subgenres that can be altered in a way that it can really be about anything if you want to think about it. Um, I know that's a very, like, broad definition, but... Mm -hmm. That's that's why I gravitate towards body horror, which is ironic because I'm more known for my writing about slashers. But first and foremost, my love is body horror, if mm -hmm. I'm being quite honest. I mean, I think it, it covers such a thing, too. And it, you know, is so popular with many people is because, I mean, it's relatable because, I mean, we all have meat suits like we all are mm -hmm. uh, having those things. So it's like in one way or another. Um, you know, body horror is something that, you know, many people can kind of still relate to, even if it's not specifically about like a certain fear that they have about their body. But, you know, even if it's not something that scares you, you still understand it because, again, we all have, uh, for the most part, you know, the same types of meat suits, you know, with variations. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, we're all just like our skeletons are walking around 24 seven, just completely soaked in blood. <laughs> I was waiting to see what you were gonna say soaked in because I, I, I thought you were just gonna leave at that like we're just skeleton soaked skeletons walking around uh, is hilarious to me uh, it's also a great name for a podcast <laughs> or, skeletons. Or, or an indie band which oh, true. Your <laughs> oh yeah many possibilities there um, and it is Pride Month, of course, and, uh, you know, we've, we're celebrating camp, but then we're also, you know, just kind of celebrating queerness in horror films in general. So uh, we've been asking all the guests if there is a specific character or movie uh, itself that uh, you have kind of seen yourself in that has uh, really resonated. Wow. Uh, okay. That's another loaded question because, I, ironically, going right back to body horror, I think the one I saw myself in was... Uh, raw um it was a film at the time i saw and i was still closeted and to see this movie and straight up straight up it's not even subtext like the text is like the cannibalism is the metaphor for sexuality and it's the story of her going through the motions of discovering it and eventually just embracing it and living with it 
and I saw a lot of myself in that movie. As strange as it is, I don't, I don't go, I don't usually go and go around saying like, oh, I saw myself in this cannibalism movie. I'm a freak, and mm-hmm. but the subtext or, or like the main text of it like really resonated with me. It's always a film that I go back to during Pride Month, and I think over the years I've just gained more and more from it. Like the the more I like watch it and understand it. Yeah, it, uh, definitely um, one that has come up here on the pod, you know, quite often because it is a fantastic film. Uh, actually, there was almost going to be a, a surprise second guest uh, here on the show. It was going to be Zero Gravity, who talked raw with me here on the podcast um, a couple years back. Um, so, so you guys, uh, minds thinking alike there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've totally seen, you know, why that resonates and, and it's interesting cause it's like, that is one that like, I do enjoy the film so much, but like also, uh, can see that like, it doesn't, uh, is not for me specifically. So I don't have like the exact, like strong feelings, but then whenever I watched to 10, that one kind of gave me more of like, um, kind of the connection that I saw other people have with Rob. So, uh, Julia did, uh, De Corneau. Uh, a legend of course i i love how this movie just continues it's almost like now it's a bit on the podcast that this movie will consistently <laughs> be brought up but we will not discuss it well <laughs> well like, raw has been another notch in but uh, to 10 is coming <laughs> if i can help it to 10 will because we're uh we're almost pretty much filled up with the 2023 schedule um and i don't see to 10 fitting in uh the rest of the categories that we have but uh i'm gonna make it happen in 2024 so um you can go listen to our thoughts on raw but um to 10 uh, you guys will have to continue waiting for it um, as we yeah do continue to hype that film up. Um, but uh, we have a uh, a big movie to talk about today that I am just super stoked for. So uh, so let me see if we're on the same uh, wavelength, guys. On three, one, two, three. It's time, it's time to, cut to cut out the, the cancer. cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Malignant, released September 10th, 2021, directed by one James Wan, uh, you know, the guy behind Saw, uh, the first Insidious, the Conjuring franchise, and uh, Aquaman, and uh, Fast and Furious 7, too, you know, the guy's got range. Uh, This was uh, written by uh, Akila Cooper, uh, has the script credits um, as uh, Wan and his wife, Ingrid Bisou, uh, came up with the story idea. And then uh, they all kind of collaborated together uh, to make this one happen. Cinematography done by Michael Burgess uh, with the score done by Joseph Bishara with his uh, this being his sixth collaboration with Juan, uh, including Insidious 1 and 2, The Conjuring 1 and 2. He is also the uh, lipstick makeup monster uh, in the Insidious movies, too. Um, and this was uh, edited by Ke- uh, this was edited by Kirk Mori. This was the seventh collaboration between him and Juan. Uh, everything uh, that Juan has done since Insidious. Um, the uh, box office numbers for this one uh, a little bit weird. Uh, Thirty-four point nine million dollars on a forty million dollar budget. But this was when HBO Max was uh, releasing all their movies simultaneously. Uh, in theaters and on streaming for a month and then they would like remove it and then they would like re-add it back later again it was a it was a very strange strategy um but you know they were they were figuring it out um 
this uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, surprisingly higher than I expected, honestly, uh, 76% on 172 reviews. Uh, Reina, can you guess what the letterbox average rating is um, uh, overall out of five? Oh, my. It's either going to be like, it's probably going to be like 3.2 because it's people either rating it five stars or one and a half. Yep, it, it, you were pretty close. It's a 3.1 um, out of 5. I've noticed uh, in, in kind of the general trends, uh, the, the letterbox averages uh, kind of stay pretty balanced. Um, most of them are in this like kind of 3 or 4 range, except for like, you know, some of the big hitters. You know, when that average rating is above 4, then it's like, oh, okay, um, we really got something here. But yeah, 3.1, so still fresh amongst uh, the voice of the people over there. Um, but, um, uh, I invited you on, this was, uh, actually Garrett's pick, um, for, um, the, uh, month. And then I wanted to get Raina in here, um, to, uh, as a, uh, a third voice on this one, but, uh, Garrett, this was your pick for the month. Uh, what made you want to talk about Malignant, man? Uh, to me, this was like the first movie that popped in my head when this, uh, you know, entire month was even, uh, uh brought up is that this idea of, these horror movies just unabashedly looking camp dead in the eye and just embracing that. And I almost like feel a little uh, nostalgic for the release of this movie and just thinking that it was just going to be this, you know, new James Wan horror flick and going in. And it is this wacky, absurd, just camp uh, fest. And the reaction to the movie too, uh, from like, a personal level to the audience level just everyone going on this journey of watching this movie in a theater i was not one of those uh, uh hbo formerly known as hbo max you know <laughs> uh, uh day one watches i saw this in a theater with a packed crowd and i just remember everybody going on this journey of like oh shit what is what's going on what is all of this and then that last third act of the movie just playing like gangbusters so this movie to me was just such a great recent example of a horror movie totally embracing camp feeling very intentional and then being on this kind of like journey with a lot of people who hadn't been experienced or has haven't uh, didn't have a lot of experience being exposed to this sort of movie and this type of genre uh and then kind of you know, uh, not necessarily explaining it, but being able to uh, uh, share this with people and have them go on this ride kind of for the first time. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And I, I just, yeah, this movie is, it gets better and better with age and, and each rewatch. There's so many moments in this movie that I uh, am just adore. I texted Devon a few of them yesterday. I tweeted out a few of them. Uh, absolutely love this movie. So yeah, to me, this is like one of the camp movies in recent years. Oh, yes, I would. I would. Uh, I mean, I agree uh, tenfold everything you said there. But first, uh, uh, Reyna, do you, can you take us back to the first time you saw Malignant and how your life has been changed since? <laughs> okay, so uh, like Garrett, I was a uh, HBO Max, like, no way am I watching that on there. I was like, I have to see this in a theater. Um, historically, I'm really hit or miss with James Wan horror. Um I like The Conjuring, hated Insidious, but uh, was a very big Aquaman fan because that was another movie of his that like fully embraced the camp. And once I heard he was returning to the horror genre after that, I was like, okay, I'm really interested to see what he takes, like learning, making this 
giant DC multi-million dollar blockbuster movie and kind of going back to a genre where he's allowed to have even more fun. So I took my dad to see it in the theater um, <laughs> opening weekend. Uh, not a soul was in there. It was just me and him, which is wild. Um, we saw it on a Sunday afternoon. And I didn't really know what to expect other than like, oh, James Wan was like, oh, it's Giallo, quote unquote, inspired. And we saw the marketing with like the golden dagger and the leather glove. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, Giallos can get pretty weird. So maybe Wan will get kind of weird with this one. And let me tell you, it hit me like a ton of fucking bricks while I was in there. Like, I felt like somebody like slapped me silly while watching it. <laughs> it's like this weird concoction of like dark castle entertainment giallo plus like terminator 2 thrown in the mix and what's great is that like it just it embraces all of it 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 does it it plays some of it straight but it doesn't play it fully straight it plays it like we know this is dumb like we're just out here to have a good time and I think because of that, the way it comes off is it comes off as a very, and this is rare for this genre, it comes off as a very sincere horror film. Like, you don't get too too many of those too often. And mm -hmm. the fact that this one was, like, front-funded by Warner Brothers, like, here, here's carte blanche, make us a horror movie, mm -hmm. and this is what he delivered, <laughs> I almost would, like, pay to be a fly on the wall in that room seeing reactions to when they saw the final product because uh i don't know it's a it's a unique beast like yeah. like like uh garrett said like the more i watch it the more i just fall in love with it and embrace it like even more to the point that i had the theatrical poster professionally framed pretty recently and it's nice. like hanging up in my office now Hell yeah. I mean, as Garrett was kind of saying, you know, being nostalgic for when this was released, like, I mean, it, like being in the theater watching this, like, I mean, it was like, I instantly, I was like, oh, this is special. Like, this is like, I mean, I, me and my friend were just cackling like more than I just like have in like such a long time. Like, uh, you know, just like a, a, a guttural cackle at just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. This is so ridiculous. Um, you know, especially like at the moment. Um, and, and we always, um, these are always spoiler filled guys. Um, we don't always remind you, but if for some reason you still haven't seen this, please, uh, leave because there will be, uh, spoilers you don't want ruined. Um, so yeah, yeah, your last chance. But like, I remember being in the theaters and at, at one point I leaned over and I go, I go, I go, I think we got a professor quill situation here. And she goes, she goes, <laughs> shut the fuck up. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, we'll see. And then, you know, so just like uh, waiting for the moment for uh, this to happen, just like everybody was going wild in the theaters. Uh, me and um, me and uh, my friend, we were doing Gabriel walks out of the theater uh, as we left <laughs> uh, because we were just like, like it, we were like a pack of hyenas. Like, and this movie is just, it has that perfect bonkers energy that, um, you know, that I feel like, we really have been craving, especially to like kind of counteract some of like, you know, the heavier uh, trauma filled, grief filled films like this is the perfect, you know, counter to that. And it just uh, hit at such a perfect time that, you know, it gave us a new original uh, horror icon, in my opinion. Um, I think I know he's only one film in, but Gabriel uh, is is my boy, um, my, my, my backwards king. Uh, I love him. 
and uh and just every time I watch this like I mean now I, when I watch it it's like watching like a sporting event like I'm I'm chanting the lines I'm pumping my fists like I know the I know like every beat like so like so quickly already like I know this movie so inside and out that I just like I love it so much um mm-hmm. You can hear like more of my initial thoughts um, over on Daily Horror Habit. We did an episode like a few months after its release. Uh, so those were like my more initial thoughts. And these are uh, now um, I love when I have uh, compiled notes now. So I have like the notes from that pod and then stacked this one on top of it. Uh, so uh, so we're going to have a nice thorough examination here of, uh, of Malignant. Um, Reina, are you ready to give us a 60 second synopsis uh, for this uh, batshit movie? Uh, I think so. I'll do my best because uh, hey, it's gonna well, be hard. <laughs> hey, just like we weren't ready for this movie, yeah, you gotta you gotta deal with it. All right, okay. I got you here in three, two, one, go. Okay, uh, an Italian giallo inspired horror film starring a woman who is investigating this mysterious murder but in the meantime discovers her own inner demons and basically the movie just unwinds from this like typical slasher fair into this grotesque body horror abomination with the energy of a late 90s dark castle film yeah it's it's a it's a movie that has a uh, all the kills you can want from a horror movie but also like great set pieces and has all the humor you could ever ask for in a horror film. How many more seconds hey, do I have? You, shit. <laughs> if you're done, that's 10 seconds to spare. Oh, shit. Okay. I was nervous. I was like, is this even summing up the movie right? <laughs> See, I, I appreciate the 16-second synopsis because you, like, you know, uh, really got the whole experience in there, too. You, ra- you wrote your opinion in there. Like, there's there was, like, a full review. I appreciate that. Well, I, I like how you did a thing where because like I was like kind of wait for like the end punctuation for somebody. So like you you is like you purposefully didn't give me that in case you had like something <laughs> else to add on to it. Uh, so so a, a nice strategy you had going there. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of movie in this movie. Um, I do remember the trailer uh, for me. I just kind of I didn't even see like all the Jalo inspired stuff until like maybe like a week before the movie. Like I kind of started seeing some poster stuff, but like from all the trailers that like kept hitting in front of the YouTube uh, videos and stuff, it just like uh, it looked like, yeah, a James Wan haunted house spook em up. Uh, that's kind of what I was expecting from it. And I was uh, very happy to uh, when I watched like the behind the scenes thing. Um, he like very specifically was like talking about like yeah that's what I'm known for that's what I've done and I definitely like don't want to do that so like that's you know definitely what uh puts me in the camp because I remember initially too there was a lot of like uh you know is how much is this intentional is he aware of it like all these things and it's like yes 100 percent he knew exactly what he was doing with this movie um and i appreciate that and even if there are certain parts that come off intentionally like it it all still works because uh that's kind of um what we've come to figure out with camp uh, the intention uh does it matter not really um if it if it works it works um you know but i 100 percent and watching the behind the scenes stuff uh, he knew what he was doing with this one. So as far as uh, the subgenres that we do see in this film against what we were kind of expecting them to be, uh, what was sticking out? 
I was going to say, I feel like a big part of what makes this movie work is the screenplay by Akilah Cooper, a screenwriter currently working in horror that I think understands every assignment that's thrown at her. Even before she took off with this, she had done um, Hellfest beforehand. And uh, if nobody has ever seen Hellfest listening or otherwise on the show, um, Hellfest is a very like 80 centric slasher movie. It's trying to be no more, no less. And to go from that to this to eventually Megan, it's like that's no accident that all of her screenplays like hit the mark tone wise and intention wise with what they want to deliver. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, um, she definitely, um, has a, as a nice way to, um, between those three films, you know, she has, um, uh, can juggle many different subgenres and like kind of a combination of like, a kind of taking, um, either Juan's ideas and molding them or kind of having a little bit more, uh, story and put in Megan. Um, and, but all three of them kind of have a, a nice energy to them, a nice, uh, charm, um, it, it definitely like write, writes contemporary in a way that sounds looks and sounds believable um, it, you know versus um, you know other ways but uh, what about you Garrett what were you kind of uh, thinking about of uh, some of the subgenres that uh, Cooper worked into this one um, I think it's also uh, like a mystery noir film uh, on top of being a, a giallo movie, which typically have uh, some sort of mystery angle behind it. But this is much more of like a police procedural to where you're following these detectives who are tracking down this case. And on top of that, you also have this sort of B-plot happening where you have this mystery around, you know, uh, uh, their past and uh, or Madison's past and like you know where she grew up and all of these uh, the things about the asylum and being adopted so there's like this double mystery angle uh, procedural happening here on top of it being this giallo movie on top of being this kind of like 90s uh, it's it's uh it, it's such a, an enigma to describe, but like this 90s slasher sort of kung fu movie uh, at the same time, like almost a la like The Matrix or what's the uh, the one with Christian Bale, uh, Equilibrium, you know, uh, it's kind of got that, that like weird uh, energy to it. And it's just like all of those things thrown into a blender um, with James Wan's uh, kind of steady hand uh, steering it all. So it is really the subgenre soup kind of happening here. Oh yeah, the, this movie is um is that um that Gatorade cooler of jungle juice at a at a college party, you know, like it's got all the things in it. It's good. It it tastes decent. It's gonna make you feel good. You're gonna have a great time. Yeah, it might not be the best for you. Like as in, does this movie have a bunch of uh intellectual uh heft to it? You know, no, not really. But hey, it's all good because it's all about having a good time. Um, yeah, because definitely the, the Jalo uh, sticks out uh, for me as well. Um, I mean, really, three of the four movies we've talked about uh, this month have, you know, vague Jalo influences in them uh, between Death Becomes Her or um, what are, uh, Dars of Darkness, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, you know, I think those kind of interweave uh, with the camp uh, pretty, pretty interchangeably. Um, you're at least like, you know, a lot of the more successful Gallo films, I feel like you have to have a layer of camp to be able to embrace like some of the uh, ridiculous ideas and presentations that they that they show. 
And then, I mean, and obviously, you know, Gabriel, you know, rocking his trench coat, got the gloves, got the signature look that um, I'm definitely going to get into a little bit more when we get into the queer readings. Um, but, um, you know, uh, definitely all hallmarks of a Jalo film, especially the mystery procedural elements as well. Um, those all kind of tie in. But then, um, of course, the, the body horror elements that we'll talk about with uh, Gabriel's appearance and um, effects and things like that. Um, the, uh, is another strong sibling horror. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, these uh, kind of familial connections and like what that means to certain characters, whether that be uh, Maddie and Gabriel, uh, Sydney and Maddie, um, and all these kind of, uh, you know, the ways that that also ties into um, these kind of like alienated feelings that uh various characters have um so so another uh, very strong sibling horror which um which i'll touch on when we uh get to my sequel pitch at the end of the conversation um <laughs> so excited to to get into that um but let's go ahead and uh start with our characters here um we have maddie um introduced as a, a pregnant woman uh she's a nurse um in an abusive relationship and um you know bad shit's going down and again i was like okay this feels like you know this would be the typical setup in a like haunted house movie and and in this first like 20 minutes too almost feels like james wan like parodying himself like this house looks like every james wan house um and it kind of has like so and the very first like scare set piece feels like a typical james wan set piece but then after that that's when it's like okay like we'll give you a smidge of what you think this is gonna be but um so so this uh interesting setup with um you know we see um that she's again abused and um uh, bust the back of her head like real bad by her uh shitty 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 boyfriend um just like the shittiest boyfriend i i feel bad for this actor because he always does get typecast in these kind of roles um as being just the ultimate dirtbag um but uh so so what do we uh how do we feel about maddie as a uh, protagonist for this because i'll say personally she's uh not my favorite character in the movie um, but she is there to do the things that we like need for her to do. Um, I think for me, uh, Maddie is also not my favorite character in this, but how can you upstage, you know, our little boy Gabriel, like you can. So, uh, I love that, uh, not, not as much the character of Maddie, but I love Annabelle, uh, uh Wallace, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. I, I love their performance in this movie because I think that they are fully leaning into the camp angle and there's so many deliveries uh, of, of lines that she has uh, that I think make her character all the more tolerable and make uh, her character all the more memorable too. Uh, one of my favorites that she just delivers with the utmost earnestness is uh, towards the end of the movie when she's like in the mind prison of, of Gabriel and she says, now I can do all the mind tricks you can. And it's just like, uh, it's just like, man, get that check. Like she's just crushing it throughout this entire movie. So yeah, Maddie, not my favorite, but uh, Anna, uh, Annabelle Wayless, uh, her performance is just mwah, so good. I like her as a character because, you know, um, I may be one of the few people out there that probably view her and Gabriel as like one character. Like, it's like I don't mm. view them as two separate characters. They're two halves of the same whole. Interesting. I mean, that's that's uh, kind of a big part of uh, the way I feel about certain things in this film, because like I uh, 
in because in the in the background, like they very much talked about Gabriel's just kind of being this like very terrifying monster villain that they wanted to create, and they also refer uh, it in that way that like oh yeah, Gabriel represents Maddie's dark side and like you know the kind of same. Um, but for me, I gained just too much empathy and like you know for Gabriel, like Gabriel is uh, not really doing too much wrong except for like yeah he does like kill like the innocents in the in the jail cell massacre, but like up to then he's just trying to take care of his biz and wants to be his own man and i respect that and um you know so it's like with um so it's funny with uh um with maddie she she plays uh the camp performance of so there's you know i feel like in this we have like kind of the nice mixture of we have characters playing it super straight we have characters leaning into the camp like sydney and um uh detective moss um, I feel like they are kind of a little bit leaning into the campy, but then you have Annabelle Wallace doing the thing where she is playing so serious that it's campy. Um, so, you know, and usually that aloofness comes from like a side character in like a more campy Jalo movie, like having like the very, just like kind of aloof, like blank stare kind of person. And Maddie does do that a lot of in this movie, but that's kind of funny because it's like, yeah, uh, she almost becomes a side character in this movie to Gabriel, you know, because I feel like Gabriel is such a pronounced his own person, own entity uh, type of character. So uh, while while we're talking about, it, let's uh, talk about our our backwards boy here. I I think the greatest trick that the movie pulls off is getting you to believe that they're like two separate entities. Because like it like like physically like they're not. They inhabit the same body. So you almost have to wonder if like Gabriel inherited all the bad traits and maddie inherited all the good traits and then towards the end of the movie they're getting even more and more blurred like it's almost like they're two souls but they're like entirely intertwined at their very core one can't exist without the other and as far as gabriel like himself like coming out and doing like all the bad shit it's like i see that more of like you know what like fuck it like if i'm a monster and you're gonna treat me like one then i'm gonna become one and besides i'm your evil half anyway it, it leans it in the camp of like almost the whole like just oh evil twin like like trope that we see like not too often anymore in horror movies but that we used to get pretty often i mean i think for myself I, I think that Gabriel is definitely his own separate character. I know that he probably physically couldn't exist uh, without Maddie. Like if they were to cut him off, he would probably die. Uh, mm -hmm. But to me, I think there is uh, a clear distinction uh, between the two uh, and, and obviously in personality, one kills people, the other doesn't, you know, typical odd couple. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that the movie treats them as separate characters and they each kind of have their own like even character arcs in a way. And I think it even goes into like one of the other subgenres that I think is in this movie is possession. Like this is like practically a possession movie because you have this person who's just this puppet for for the other person who's doing their mm -hmm. their evil deeds and their evil wishes and they're just sort of along for the ride but mentally you know they're in a completely separate place so i think that they each have their own motivations they each have their own journey in in the movie uh and their own arc in the movie and so i think that yeah i i would say that they're definitely separate beings even though they're kind of both both inhabiting the same body so to speak you know yeah like because i mean 
even though, like I said, like when they were kind of talking behind the scenes, they, you know, say it's like more blatantly a metaphor. But in the movie, we do see it's like, you know, medically explained that it's like, yeah, they share the same brain, the same body. Well, they, you know, he had part of a body, but then they cut all that off and then but they couldn't remove all of him because if it did, then it would result in permanent damage to Maddie. So that's why they just uh, shoved the rest of him in. Like she literally said, I love that she even just like says it just like that too. Um, She's just like, yeah, we're just going to push the rest in. Um, But so, you know, he does exist in that way, but then, yeah, he does have his own motivations. And not only does he have his own motivations, they don't even entirely um, you know, include Maddie, like, it's like Maddie is, like, is an inconvenience, um, you know, more than anything, even though he does, like, you know, have to manipulate her and stuff, which also kind of plays into this, like, kind of sibling thing, because he's jaded by her that she's gotten to live this, uh, you know, actual life, and she has, uh, you know, a different sibling and different mom and all these things, and, like, so all that plays into, you know, these motivations. I'm just like, oh, yeah, man, dude, I get it. Like, your life fucking sucks, dude. Um, And, you know, and I've seen other, uh, I've seen other, like, kind of trans readings. And at first I didn't kind of see it because I didn't want to think of them as two separate personalities because I know that's obviously not how trans people work. Um, You know, so at first I didn't think of it that way, but then I did think of it in the way of he now, since he doesn't have, like, even, you know, what mutated part of his body they did have. And he's like, okay, well, now I have, have to share this body and I have this and it's you know not the body that I want so it's like I like that when he um transforms you know and takes Maddie's body over like he makes it a point to put a jacket on to put the gloves on to like you know uh uh, change it up put the boots on so it's like uh you know to make her body look the way that he wants it to look so uh, I could see it maybe as a a trans angle but I could also uh, I like to also just like read him as like using Maddie's body in drag in a way we've uh, brought up drag quite a bit in this month as well um so um I I could kind of see it either way in a, in a way but I definitely see him as uh his own person the star of this movie honestly yeah I I uh, it's not surprising to me that a lot of uh, uh fans of this movie and genre fans have uh gone the route of of seeing this movie as maybe having uh queer themes or queer subtext in it and i I think that's precisely because of the movie's you know connection with camp the movie being a very camp movie and then camp uh and its connection with queerness is something that we've talked a lot about uh this month as well uh so to me it's 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 not too far uh of a connection to draw between the two but yeah for me I, i i love gabriel's uh, power dynamic in this movie and I'm sure it'll come up in movie math between uh, the three of us but uh, this movie's connection with Basket Case I think it's like a fun reversal of sort of that power dynamic is that you have uh, uh, in this case Maddie who like you had mentioned Devon is sort of the weaker more feeble one where Gabriel is the powerful one which is like the exact opposite that you see uh, in Basket Case you <laughs> yeah. have the older brother who kind of needs to like you know carry the basket around and take him from you know kill to kill uh, they can't have this uh, sense of autom- uh, autonomy that uh, that Gabriel has but yeah I uh, Gabriel's look his whole costume. I love that uh, when he gets arrested and he breaks out of the jail cell, he immediately goes to the evidence locker to get his costume. He's like gotta he's got to look up. the part. He's gotta uh, I love all of that. He's he's a king. <laughs> yeah, he him and Belial would totally be homies. Um, it, Gabriel is practically an X Man. 
Um, he, uh, you know, can control electrical currents and communicate through machinery. Uh, he has a bit of super strength to a degree. Uh, we got, you know, uh, parkour balance, daredevil abilities. Um, you know, uh, he's, 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 uh, again, uh, save for my malignant sequel, uh, here at the end. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm what, just imagining the the end of the intro from the X Men animated series where all the you know the good guys and the villains are running on one side, and then you got Gabriel just backwards running, you know. <laughs> I mean, would you would you uh because uh, I know right now I know you're a big superhero person. Would you uh kind of throw this in a almost in a superhero camp uh oh canon? Because I mean it's it's close, like it's pretty close. It's it's close. I mean. The moment he throws the chair across the room, my mind jumped to Terminator 2. Um, so we're not too far off base that that Gabriel is like this like super powered being that like is like in a wheelhouse of his own. Um, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Make Gabriel an X-Men. Bring him into the MCU. Let's make it exciting again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I I love to think of Gabriel just like next to Jubilee in class, and it's like, oh, what can you do? And she's like, I can do you know sparkles and lightning and shit, and then fucking, what do you what can you do? And it's just, yeah, it's just peeling open. <laughs> yeah, just Maddie peeling her head. Oh open. my god, <laughs> I I've been uh I've I've uh I finally caught up on uh, My Hero Academia, and he would one hundred percent fit in in that world. Like it, like it, everything about him, the look, uh, his uh, you know, like because a lot of them, even though they have superpowers. Some of them have like uh, deformities and uh, body alterations and things like that too. Um, so uh, 100%, he could uh, he could fit in in there uh, too. But uh, yeah, there's just a uh, I really just appreciate like having a, a just another new um, you know memorable uh, you know recognizable horror villain like to yeah. enter into a canon. Like that's in- that's rare now. Like oh, totally. I I can't remember the last time before Gabriel that everybody like in general was so on board with a new horror icon until like maybe most recently Megan, but that's in a post malignant world. Yeah. Um, you know what, rather than a superhero movie, give me malignant versus Megan. (laughs) Bring Akila Cooper back to write that script. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I feel like totally down for that. I I think, yeah, the, the most recent one that we got is maybe Pennywise, but it's not, it's like, that's kind of an exception, I guess, because it's a new character, but I would say that like, it's, it's the performance of that character that is now so iconic in horror. But uh, apart from like, you know, Gabriel's costume and the way that he moves, I love that he has a signature weapon too. Like, I love the theatricality of Gabriel. Like Gabriel is such a showman. I love that the medical trophy is this weapon but when it's first used it's not used in the way that you'd think it would be used like he doesn't use the sharp part of it he uses the bottom of it and like caves that dude's head in and then you kind of uses it as like Mm -hmm. a a little knife and i love the montage of crafting the scene and or or crafting the weapon and all of that uh, in the attic as uh uh, maddie's mom just looks in horror as he's just like grinding this medical trophy away uh it's it's the best i i love that gabriel is uh like a theatrical they, they went to such great lengths to like flesh out what Warner Brothers is probably thinking is just a throwaway character. Yeah. And that's that's where I think the icon like status comes from is the fact that they took the time to establish all of that. Here's our villain, here's their weapon, this is what they wear. Like they hit every note, like every checkbox that you could want from a good horror villain. Which is why I think that 
we struggle right now to like like for new horror villains we it's the reason we all keep going back to michael myers and jason Voorhees. it's because there's no new ones no one is out there crafting a new one like or at least attempting to craft one like i am i don't know i mean we got art the clown recently um another you know pretty big icon but then like i remember it was so perfect that this came out in september and then like like for october like i saw that like i was like oh my god i'm so excited to see the gabriel halloween costumes and people did not disappoint it was like you know people were just like so excited about him. it's like and yeah like it's just like funny like how you you know all the appearances but then like just knowing things about him like he's crafty um all these things he has like kind of a sense of humor an interesting note that i was thinking about uh so with gabriel's anatomy and uh okay so he technically doesn't have vocal cords themselves maddie does um but so you know he talks through electronic devices and stuff but so if he doesn't have vocal cords though when he transmit through an electronic voice he could pick any voice he wanted but he still chooses to do like a like zesty sinister voice uh <laughs> over the intercom cuz he technically doesn't have a voice so he can make it anything he wants and he still chooses to do that and i appreciate it like everything is a a, a theatrical choice with gabriel yeah and i feel like the movie gets a little close at times of like tiptoeing this line between the twist sort of being um, a little like unfair, you know, or kind of like betraying the trust of like revealing clues throughout the movie uh, in the sense that Maddie and Gabriel uh, like have a fight you know very early on like their first encounter gabriel chases maddie uh and the the phone scene that you were talking about devon i think is a great kind of uh uh, answer to that in the sense of this movie has this scene where you have these characters in the uh, interrogation room and the cops get the phone call and you know given like the twist of the movie you would think oh that's impossible gabriel's in the back of the head you would you would hear that but i love that they to have the attention to detail uh like you had mentioned reina is that at the beginning of this movie with the radio and, and seeing all of that so yeah i love the care that is given to like making sure that that twist is earned making sure that it doesn't kind of betray the trust of the filmmaker and the audience or make it feel unfair or like that you've been you know uh, intentionally misled or like too many red herrings or something like that exactly and to go back to devon's point about art the clown you didn't really get anything on art the clown until a follow-up sequel movie mm-hmm. like malignant they do it right from the jump like oh yeah here's our character this is what he's all about to the point that anytime you go to a halloween party now and you see somebody in that costume you almost know right away who it is yeah i mean and and i love that you know his powers don't have to make sense like how does he mm-hmm. do the electrical powers we don't know uh the you know the uh, is it pretty convenient that he can you know control uh maddie's uh reality and what she can see and what she's feeling so that way they can explain away all those early scenes uh is that is that very convenient yeah sure but does it all work for the movie you bet it does and they make sure that as, as long as it works for the movie that's all that matters um which i love you know so it's like if they as long as it works for them they're like hey as long as like this all makes sense to us that's fine we don't give a shit if you're gonna ask questions on like how any of this works like because yeah you know you could easily you know like you know pick this apart you know bit by bit you know really trying to make sense of it but they they know that you're gonna try and do that so it doesn't matter as long as it works for like what they want to do 
And Devon, I'm very surprised that you didn't show some love to Esther uh, for like iconic, you know, horror oh, villains I mean, yes. in recent years. Oh, like, for yeah, me I'm too. Surprised you didn't shout out your girl. I mean, and, well, because she's also a, a case that like, yeah, she had her first movie in 2009. So she's not exactly a new character, but like now I feel like uh, First Kill is the one that like solidified her because like, yeah. you know, people really liked the first orphan. But then like now I'm like, OK, yes, uh, Queen Esther is also an icon uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, in regards to like uh, kind of conveniences in this, I think one of my favorites uh, that it's just kind of this like ah roll with it, whatever, <laughs> is the the psychic that shows up who is there literally to only aid in delivering exposition. Like that's my favorite trope in this. It's just like okay, well we need like a like a five to ten minute scene where we just explain everything that happens to the audience. I know. Uh, a, a psychic <laughs> will bring it's, them in. It's, it's, it's a good <laughs> trope. If it if it's good enough for like Italian directors and horror movies, then by God, it's good enough for James Wan. <laughs> I mean, and I feel like it also plays on the sense of humor of this movie too, because it's a callback to like a few scenes earlier when Sydney's like, "Oh yeah, I played a psychic in a cop show one time," and they say you use that all the time, and they're like, "No, that's not real. We don't do that." And that's like, yeah, literally ten minutes later. Okay, so we brought in the psychic, and then she's like, "See, I knew it." Um, you. Know, so it's like it also plays on uh, their sense of humor and that's what I really appreciated on this rewatch was how fucking funny this movie is oh my um, god I mean there's just hilarious there's, there's I mean so many funny lines and the the camp yeah. opening itself too is just like that's what announces the camp in this movie and just like it's like he's drinking the electricity I mean like there's so many just like hilarious stuff but then there's like uh, funny stuff while uh, specifically with the cops mainly uh, the cops are actually the funniest people in this movie <laughs> uh the beginning uh like five minutes of this movie play out like one of those clips that you would see while in line for an amusement park ride you know and they've got you know, like <laughs> about to enter into the facility or whatever like i absolutely love it and you're right it does sort of just wave this flag of like hey this is the type of movie uh that you're going to see but there are so many funny bits in this movie and so many great sight gags one of my favorites is the bit where she's like uh um where sydney is going to investigate the the psychiatric ward and like drives to this gothic you know <laughs> uh, uh temple and essentially just drives so close to the edge of this cliff and is like nearly about to drive off but just stops right short it's like a naked gun movie it's totally ridiculous i love that the jail cell is filled with so many colorful characters like one lady has a big pompadour one lady looks like she's like a background extra and super fly it's just like every character character in there looks like a fucking cartoon like it's the best i like how james wan like kind of made an effort to have his wife be the hottest person in this movie like i just like kind of cackled at that i was like total wife guy james james wan <laughs> love that and then uh the scene where maddie reveals that she was adopted like the way that beat is hit and the music and her sister's reaction just had me dying on the floor laughing um oh yeah i mean and th whenever uh garrett posted like that clip of like that that beat and that's that's like the moment in watching the movie i knew that like okay this is all on purpose this is all real this is all hilarious um and like i made sure to uh you know we usually don't talk about the editors uh here on the pod but kirk Morey, who again um has worked with james wanford this is his seventh film together and, um, it, you know, James Wan, you know, he is known for his scares, like on, you know, the craft of the scares. And so much of that comes in the editing from Maury. 
And and so whenever Garrett posted that clip, I retweeted. I was like, see, I was like, even editing can be camp because that's exactly what he's doing with like, um, you know, the the musical cues, the zoom ins, um, you know, how many times do they use those uh different versions of uh where's my mind. Um, so I feel like all of those decisions are like even campy within themselves. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, so all those moments, uh, you know, make the, that work it, they make the comedy work as well. Like I love the, um, the different bits with, uh, the, the police sketch artist. Um, so first <laughs> we like get the sketch of Gabriel and they're like, oh, so we're looking from sloth for them Goonies. But then the funnier one is when he like gets the picture of like maddie as a kid and he's like hey uh, can you age this up 30 years and then it just looks like annabelle wallace's headshot <laughs> is uh one of the funniest like gags in this entire movie yeah there's so many good ones uh an iconic one is uh sydney i'm adopted and then just synth music starts playing uh i absolutely <gasps> love that it's so oh, good no. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the chair throw the oh chair yeah throw. oh it's amazing gabriel I... like picks up a heavy wooden chair and chucks it just like 20 feet across the room and nails the police officer but it's also it. so needless like he doesn't need to do that he's they, like, they are literally on the door yeah, they're he's just such the... a petty bitch yeah <laughs> he's petty um he's got skill um and one thing about me is like i mean i like it whenever like people have reactions in theaters and stuff but i hate clapping in theaters i'm like no don't that's that's too much it's too loud they can't hear you um the the chair throw is the one exception i was happy that everybody started clapping um it, it, everyone literally just like was applauding i was like oh yeah yeah we're in it now um it, you know and i really like um all the stuff from the police uh, academy stuff that um you know you see james wan bringing in his uh, furious seven stuff which also camp so I mean, he's got he's got Aquaman, he's got Furious Seven, he's also got Dead Silence, and that, and this too. So James Wan, uh, underrated king of camp horror. Well, I mean, Furious Seven's not horror, but uh, James Wan, he's he's got a, a some he, he knows what he's doing. I think he's got it dialed in. Absolutely. I'm like super bummed that his like horror based Aquaman Black Manta movie is like not happening. Oh, the trench. Yeah. The trench, yeah, yeah, because I'm just wondering the amount of camp that would have been in that movie. Oh, I don't God. know. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I, I'm glad that James Wan is able to maybe move on and, and and tell more stories like this. Like, I wish we got, got ten of these types of movies a year, you know. But I, I love that James Wan is is championing the camp and really has it dialed in. Which to me, yeah, some people say like that. I don't, maybe that this movie isn't in on the joke. Maybe this movie doesn't know that it's camp. But I think James Wan has proven to like uh, you know have that formula pretty down and have that sensibility uh, pretty well understood. So yeah, I I think uh to those who who doubt james wan i think he's he's got it pretty dialed in here yeah like i, I feel like it, it's again like he you know wanted to do something new he didn't want to kind of be boxed in but then it also feels this feels like such a culmination of his uh kind of body of work his uh you know everything that he's like kind of learned over the years from these different uh you know subgenre backgrounds and stuff and then on top of it being again like a an ultimate blank check movie of him being like oh warner brothers i have made you so much money you are not gonna tell me a single thing on this and uh i just love uh the audacity behind that and like annabelle wallace even like basically says that on the behind the scenes thing like um which that that was also a really cool thing about the feature as like everyone loves james wan He's always smiling. Everyone's laughing, having a great time. 
And it was like so refreshing from like, you know, all the uh, horror stories we hear about, you know, uh, arduous sets and, you know, tough, tough shoots and stuff. It's like, no, everybody was like having a blast making this. So that was also uh, I feel like you can feel that through the movie for sure. And he he loves like like terrible, fun, old horror movies. I mean, he's going he's going on like press right now. Well, not for this movie but he's going around like telling interviewers for aquaman 2 his main inspiration is planet of the vampires which i'm like wait what like (laughs) he is like he is so dialed in as a director that it's like not even funny like yeah he he is one of the directors that i i comfortably say he's one of the best horror directors working today 100 percent, hands down in my mind i mean this and like you create basically saw insidious the conjuring like dude like he could probably not make a movie for the rest of his life and his legacy is already set in stone in my eyes mm-hmm. yeah, i think we we don't really have too many uh like filmmakers of our generation that you can compare to a cronenberg to you know a john carpenter but i think that james wan is one of the like uh people at the very front of the line ushering in this new generation in horror and he's done it a couple of times uh and and i yeah he in my mind kind of deserves to be on that sort of mount rushmore conversation uh even though not all of his movies are like my favorite thing in the world i think his impact and the legacy that he's had on horror is certainly not forgotten i don't know if this movie in particular is what most people are going to point to is like far his as far as his like crowning achievement is concerned um but for me i think that the the fact that he's got multiple movies in his uh resume that most filmmakers don't even have half of uh, i think speaks volumes to his ability as a filmmaker yeah i I think this one like puts the stamp like honestly because he is like i mean just from his consistency and you know spread across um you know not only you know critically um you know commercially like he kind of has had like that like roundabout like uh even more like uh i mentioned on uh pot and pendulum we've been talking about john carpenter stuff and and uh, and I compared uh, Juan almost to like a Craven, like you know he he knows how to work with the studios, he knows how to get stuff done, but it's also because he earned it, like you know with uh, the smaller budget indie stuff, doing Saw and Dead Silence early on and things like that. So it's not like you know I see people give uh you know I think people just gave him flack because the the Conjuring verse became so expansive. And I think a lot of people like don't realize that like, okay, he also stopped directing a lot of those two, like, but he did do like, you know, like what, three, four of them, um, you know, so it's like two, did he not do, uh, um, uh, Ambell comes home? Nope. Um, that was, uh, Gary Dalberman. Okay. So, so even still, so he, you know, even still has less involvement in that franchise than like people think he does, but then like people kind of think of that and it's like, they're like, oh yeah, that's all he does. And it's like, no, he does, he, you know, he's done pretty much everything. He's done big, small and everything in between. He did, he did $2 billion movies. How many directors can go out and say, I have done two movies that have both made over a billion dollars. Like, mm-hmm. which is yeah. why, like, which is why one is probably able to get something like so carte blanche, like malignant out of a major studio. It's like, yeah. Like you said, a hundred percent. He's totally earned it, whether from like inner workings of like literally working his way up from like a short film that would lead into Saw, 
just like hitting the hitting the races like right after it's wild yeah we don't know exactly what uh james gunn has planned for the dc universe but i think he would be very wise to rope in someone like james wan if they want to but if they don't that's fine too because if we can get more you know of these types of movies like like malignant that are just totally singular but are also so familiar at the same time and are just so memorable beyond anything uh i i think that yeah, uh, either is fine for me. Like, just keep giving me stuff, James Wan. I'm glad that, that we're have so many years left in his career. Hopefully, there oh, yeah. is that rumor going on right now that Atomic Monster and Blumhouse are looking to like merge together, which yeah. would be like, good lord, like, like to echo what you said. Not all of those are like bangers on my list, but that is like undeniable that that would be like the house of horrors in Hollywood if for that sure. was to happen. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, he does. We don't know what his next project is gonna be after Aquaman just yet, but I mean, um, but the crazy thing of looking at his filmography, I didn't realize he's only forty six. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That almost depresses me. I'm like, God damn, like he is like <laughs> not even fifty and has done all of this. Like that is uh absolutely wild. But um, but uh, to shift gears back into the film a little bit, um, want to hit kind of uh some of our favorite kills and action set pieces uh from the film because uh, uh boy in this uh second half do we get a bunch of them. Uh, it's yeah. How do you yeah? How do you pick just one? There's so many great uh, as far as like kills. Um, I love the. I, I don't know the character's name. I think Doctor Doctor Fields, the one that he like busts into his uh, like kind of loft and smashes his head in. Uh, that scene is great. Soaked in neon. It's also got that iconic shot from like the poster in the trailer to where Maddie is lay, laying on her side and Gabriel kind of appears from behind her. Like that whole scene is is really really memorable and gross. Uh. But the the entire prison sequence, it's essentially just one extended sort of a la Terminator uh, uh, kind of uh, just cops getting fucked up for like 20 minutes and it's the best <laughs> gabriel is is not the one to play with like that jail cell scene alone is just so fun and so wacky and crazy and it's on top of this like for me i i think the the the, the scene just before the uh, jail cell like kind of uh, reveal to where you see that um, the the recording of of Maddie and the reveal of Gabriel and all of that stuff. From that moment on, this movie shifts gears from being like, this is fun, I'm enjoying this, to like, oh, this is like the greatest fucking thing I've ever seen. And it does it in this matter of like a moment, in a, you know, in, a, in a just one scene. Uh, so yeah, the entire prison scene, it's hard to pick just one, but there are so many great and funny moments too. I was going to say the jail cell scene as well, just because uh, MVP uh, Zoe Bell really sells it with the what the fuck? <laughs> um, just just an absolutely um, hilarious and, and terrifying scene at the same time, like everybody being locked in a small confined space with Gabriel. It really is um, the thesis, like the, the mission statement of the film as a whole is that jail cell scene. And that's that's where it really for me personally just comes completely together into like a whole. And it's like, yeah, this movie like absolutely owns and I, w- I wouldn't have it any other way. That's that's my personal favorite, like first right off the top of my head. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what people are talking about when they say, like, obviously, like, the like the third act of this is, like, really where it, like, you know, steps it up a, a level. is like, yeah, from that first jail cell scene and then takes out all the scenes with the cops as well. Um, you know, those two scenes, like, back-to-back, like, really just, like, you know, light the fire for, for the movie, you know? And, um, but, like, uh, a few of the ones before that is, like, when it really started coming together, like, um... The one where he kills the doctor and like on like when they're in bed and is just like stabbing him. But then that's when I like started noticing like the body thing. I was like, wait, why are they why are they moving like that? Like that looks so awkward. And like they also are they all doing like a crab walk on top of the body? I was like, I was very confused. So that's when I started like uh, the gear started turning, trying to like being like, wait, okay, so what's really going on here? And then. Um, followed up by, um, I'm a, uh, I feel like we don't get many, uh, great foot chase scenes anymore. Um, so I really love the, uh, the chase scene between Gabriel and Detective Shaw, uh, is super fucking fun. Um, it, this is where you really get to, um, get appreciation for, uh, Marina Mazeppa as, um, the primary physical performer for Gabriel. Um, and there was a, um, another, um, Another person as well um, that did a lot of choreography with Marzeppa and uh, did a few um, did a few shots. Uh, I had his name here because I want to make sure because I know Marzeppa gets her her due. But I want to make sure uh, he gets uh, his due. Uh, Trent Smith, I think. Damn it, I have it written down somewhere. But anyways, um, that the chase scene really shows off like uh, kind of the the movement choreography for uh, Gabriel running backwards and like there's a point where he like rounds a corner and has to like go forward first and then goes backwards and then that's when I like caught it. I was like, oh, they're moving backwards. It's on the back of her head. Like that's like so like for the rest of the movie from that point was me like getting excited for this like inevitable reveal like okay how is it gonna happen so it like really made the jail scene hit like even harder i also like the moment where the body falls out of the attic (laughs) it's got to be like a top tier moment of just like just a very like brief like very funny moment that i think so good it just it quite literally lands so hard for me that like when i think of this movie i go back to like (laughs) that specific moment of just the body falling through the floors <laughs> yeah i uh my favorite one of my favorite uh gabriel specific uh uh moments of weirdness and, and glory is when he like backwards crawls it's after the foot chase but he like scutters away in like practically the gutter like just, oh, like, a, like yeah. a little rat oh, yeah it's bust just, like the it's wind. So weird <laughs> yeah because you see shaw like trying to get in and he's like all yeah. awkward doing it because uh, it was like so da- skinny my yeah. dad saw that part in the theater and turned to me and was like, why is that ghoul moving like that? <laughs> incredible. It is like a ghoul. Uh, it's uh, Troy James is the other uh, contributor for uh, choreography and movement for Gabriel. Um, it, yeah, like uh, that that moment. And then um, it, there's like um, a moment that like feels very John Wicky when Gabriel uh, rips somebody's arm off and then throws it at another person shooting at him. Uh, just like uh, just little moments like that. And um the the behind the scenes had some cool stuff about that sequence and it was like this like really great marriage of uh choreography for like the stunt performer having to move because they would program the camera movements um so like instead of having somebody do it they would have it all logged out so it's like okay as long as you hit all your marks perfectly and hit this choreography you'll be set and this is gonna look amazing but like if you don't you're also gonna get smashed by this uh gigantic camera um <laughs> so it's like uh you know it's, it's tough uh but it like works out just like so perfectly yeah uh, i i think it's 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 
funny it's disturbing it's just like the perfect mix of of the two and i think something that you you know really find in camp and we haven't talked about it a a, a ton but i i think one of the other elements in the other than just like a lot of fun and silliness in camp as i've talked about this month like using that as a way to also talk about deeper themes and deeper ideas and this mm -hmm. movie also at its core is a movie about like abuse and a movie about like the cycles of abuse and i think most importantly sort of the aftermath of abuse and kind of what that does to a person psychologically and how that affects the relationships going forward and i'm not just talking about uh, the boyfriend either it's also her relationship with her with her mother uh her relationship with her doctors and all of that sort of abuse and how it's you know, compounded on one another. So yeah, I think that all of this uh, uh, smoke and mirrors and the fun and, and all the, the kind of uh, fun high paced energy uh, of this movie, I think is really a way to also deliver some of these like uh, pretty, you know, heavy ideas, whether or not it totally lands and this movie has like a really great perspective on all of those things. I could totally understand that being an issue for some people, uh, but I think it's certainly there. I mean, I've seen I've seen criticisms of some of the um, tougher themes being a little bit half baked, maybe. Um, and but I feel like it's more of a thing of like, hey, we want to put this in here so that way, you know, we're telling a story and it makes sense. But we're also I don't feel like they're trying to go deeper than again, like you mentioned, like the the cycle of abuse because um, uh, Maddie and Gabriel were born as a product of her being raped. And then her giving uh, them up for like research for like, you know, um, because of, you know, all that kind of leaning into it, um, uh, you know, as um, you know, and did it did that have to be uh, the entrance into it? No, like, you know, she also could have just like had a chance deformed, you know, birth like, you know, that like result in this as well. Didn't have to be that, but it makes sense for um, kind of the, the cycle of it that, you know, that is how Gabriel's also reawoken um, within Maddie, you know, as she uh, does it. Um, the, the only thing that like feels a little bit um, off for me in some of the heavier stuff is like the um, you know this is Maddie's third miscarriage and like we have shit ass boyfriend like yelling at her blaming her and then at the end it being oh yeah Gabriel's been the cause of the miscarriages he's been feeding off of your fetuses to build himself back up and it's like on one hand love the camp you're going for there but also like that's kind of one of the subjects that kind of feels like is like okay, if you were going to kind of use it in that way, maybe you could have laid off of it. But I don't think they were also trying to uh, make big, grand uh, statements on some of these subjects. I was going to say that I think that's the result of it still being, at the end of the day, a major studio movie, is that you don't have like those deep explorations of themes like that or it handled with the utmost care. Like if it was like, an entirely self-funded fully creative control free movie like we probably could have but also maybe warner brothers was like this also has to like you know appeal to a larger audience i mean as unfortunate as it sounds it's why like it's why like horror like horror doesn't typically do well for major studios or they never go as in-depth as you want to like for example like boogeyman just came out and that's straight up a disney movie that explores some pretty interesting themes about grief and whatnot but it never really goes beyond like just the surface of it and i think malignant does the same thing as a result but i mean it's it's just 
Malignant has so much going for it that when you get down to the nitty gritty of like what doesn't work about it, it's mm-hmm. instantly overshadowed by what does work for it. Oh yeah, I, I I would agree there for sure. Like um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you we're not ever gonna get it all. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, this movie mm-hmm. tries. It tries its damnedest to give it, you know, it's everything. Um, but of course, you know, we're not always gonna have it all, you know. And and at the end of the day, like you know, I am able, like I'm still watching this and being like, okay, I'm glad you acknowledged it and like you still are putting in some effort to put in other things. But you know that that's not your place for this movie. You are here to entertain, and like that's you know really what this movie does. So, um, yeah, the the, the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. The only other negative that I have is like there are um some kind of slow stuff in the middle um i i know james wan um himself he was like personally like very excited to do a mystery um and i feel like it's it's like uh it's not i mean even though the very first time it did take me a little while like to like kind of piece everything together i don't think it's like a super in-depth mystery so i feel like there are um a lot of kind of slow scenes um you know when especially like when they're going back to the mom's house and like kind of getting exposition that way the videotape stuff like things like that that also do kind of feel again like tropey James Wan haunted house stuff um it just kind of doesn't uh you know it it slogs the pacing just a bit but then the kills sprinkled in up until the jail cell still uh have it you know keep the momentum forward but like that'd be like my only other gripe yeah I have a similar issue I think the the movie is for a, a, a big chunk of the middle is mostly just kind of watching the cops fumble around a bit while Gabriel mm-hmm. just kills a bunch of people and like thankfully the the bits with Gabriel and those set pieces are really uh exciting and violent and well shot uh and, and are the kind of the adrenaline that you would want in a movie like this especially on a rewatch um and yeah the mystery for me i think works fine the first time but once you kind of know the twist is coming it's not one of those films that you can uh sort of uncover new layers to it you're just kind of again watching the cops just kind of fumble around a, a little bit so yeah for me um, in regards to like some of the deeper ideas and those kind of things, I I think that the movie doesn't go in- incredibly deep. I I will say that I think that horror, uh, not to say that it always does, but I think uh, a lot of horror um, still manages to have some of those themes um, in most of the movies, even movies that people wouldn't expect it to have. Uh, but I think yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, with studios and and you know, companies that aren't A24 or some Blumhouse movies, you know, a lot of those kind of Fox Searchlight uh, sort of movies or Neon especially. Uh, I think some of these bigger companies maybe are a bit gun shy on having this super meditative uh, uh, film about uh, abuse and grief and all of the other kind of buzzword themes that we hear uh, uh, nowadays. But I, I think that this movie, uh, yeah, it's it's it certainly is a case of it has more to love than it than it has to dislike. Uh, but unfortunately for me, yeah, I think that the pace uh, as well as its kind of aversion of really diving into some of those ideas, but uh, beyond just merely bringing them up, uh, I, I think is is certainly something that's like a bit of a downside with this movie but again there's so much to love about this movie i I gotta be honest i feel like that is my biggest complaint with juan's filmography is as a whole is their pacing like i feel like a lot of the movies for lack of better term like kind of get lost in their own sauce for a little bit in the middle Mm -hmm. like um i think uh insidious is paced dreadfully um 
the first conjuring i think is paced pretty similarly to malignant the beginning and the third act are really good but that whole part in the middle just drags the entire movie down aquaman for as much as i love that movie is like another like main culprit of like the middle just drags i think it's i think it's one of the few flaws with juan as a filmmaker himself yeah i i think yeah for me james wan and and uh, i i think the the pacing of his movies i don't know if necessarily falls like entirely on his shoulders i'm sure some of it is like a a screenplay thing too i don't know if he just has bad luck with that or what kind of the case is but i think that's true also with the first saw movie i don't know if that's a hot take but i think that no first... no that's right yeah. that's right that's like 100 <laughs> no yeah, when it turns I... it when it turns into a cop movie it like grounds to a halt yeah 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 so um yeah i mean if i guess if he does have like kind of one recurring flaw that that might be it um but yeah it, it's like that and then like the ending is a smidge silly just because um you know um basically like after we after the police thing then like we have like a this uh, whole kind of scene plays out in the hospital where we think that Gabriel like kills Sydney and the mom, but it was actually no, no. Um, Maddie took back control and uh, played the mind games and back and stuff. And then I'm like, okay, well, did she really kind of was there like a way that she learned that throughout the movie? You know, because like she kind of spends most of the movie again, like either being possessed or like kind of also just like looking around aloof or trying to uh, convince the police uh, that she's not a murderer. Um, so it's like, um, that's the only thing too, is like, uh, I wish there was just like something, I don't know, like in the middle, cause like they tried to make it seem like there was like, um, her accepting Sydney as her sister. And it's like, no, you guys kind of seem like sisters the whole time. Like, yeah, that, uh, didn't that. So I just didn't feel like, um, like what, what was like the lesson that like gives her that power, um, back, you know, to have this, uh, like little mind showdown, but at the same time, the mind showdown is just fucking hilarious. It feels, uh, like, uh, it feels like, a uh, Xavier versus apocalypse and X-Men apocalypse a little bit, uh, kind of shades of that. <laughs> um, so it's like a, a little similar. So, um, it, it, it doesn't bother me because it's also like kind of goofy. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly is goofy and kind of was uh, going back to what I had said initially about Maddie and, and, and her character is not the most interesting. And I, I think that, yeah, that that twist of, of uh, uh, again, one of my favorite lines in the movie. Now I have the now I can do all the mind tricks you can <laughs> is uh, so silly, but it doesn't necessarily feel as uh, rewarding, I guess. It doesn't really. Yeah, like you had mentioned, Devon, it doesn't feel like this you know, had learned her le- this valuable lesson and believes in herself or whatever you want to say. It's, yeah, it's mostly just watching kind of the cops fumble around. And I think Maddie and Sydney also do their fair share of fumbling throughout this movie. <laughs> There's also a moment too, whenever um she's about to, uh, she's like, oh, I'm gonna lift this bed off you, Sydney. And she's like, you can't. And then she's like, well, if Gabriel can, I can too. And like, lifts it was thing. my body all along. Why, yeah, so <laughs> why was this James Wan doing a callback to Furious 7 when Dom has, lifts the car up by himself with his arms? <laughs> Literally same motion and everything. Um, it's amazing. Was uh, super hilarious, which leads me to my my malignant sequel. Okay, so I want the sequel to have like a venom tone. Okay, hold hold, hear me out. I want them to have like a venom tone where basically um maddie like either i don't know like something bad happens to her or she witnesses something bad happened to sydney she decides she wants to become a vigilante 
accessing her Gabriel powers, but she can't, but she can't just sit there and like have to struggle against him because like, you know, even though Gabriel was able to like still use her body while also like imprisoning her, Maddie doesn't have that skill yet. So they have to work together. They have to be, they have to bond as brother and sister um, and become um, un- un- unlikely duo within themselves. But then like her uh, letting Gabriel, um, you know, take control to a degree as long as he's like, you know, doing revenge things for her. Um, so, so that's what I want. I want Venom meets Death Wish, um, uh, Malignant 2, so, uh, how Gabriel got his groove back. So, <laughs> so Devon, you want another Giallo-inspired Malignant movie. You want Phenomena, only instead of Jennifer Connelly with bugs, it's Maddie with Gabriel. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to Phenomena yet. I've been catching up on Argento stuff. I uh, just watched okay. Inferno and Opera, so Phenomena was next, but... Now I definitely need to watch it. I just want to know what their superhero name is. If they I are know, a vigilante, I've been like what gets cast it. into the sky at night, you know? The backwards boy. <laughs> the king in reverse. It's a malignant man, like the malignant James Wan man. graphic novel. <laughs> oh, man. So so uh, that because uh, this has, like, again, uh, I asked if it had shades of superhero-ness in it, and I think it does, and um. I think this is what we need from the sequel, but um, you know, he in the, in the future rats, one thing he was like happy about making this was he was like, it's not a based off an IP. It's not a sequel. So it doesn't sound like he has interest to do a sequel. And this also didn't do great box office numbers because of the release strategy. But we all know that people love Gabriel and we can make this second movie happen. If so, if hopefully fingers crossed, if Aquaman two is a hit, Oh boy, <laughs> maybe we can get malignant oh, too. I'll go. I'll go see it two or three times. So I'll do it. Much. Yeah, let's. Let me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, judging by DC's uh, what last six movies, I, I yeah. Sorry, James, it's not looking good, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> James Gunn would love if there was a character called Malignant Man in his slate. <laughs> so like, let's put Gabriel in the DCU. Fuck it. Could, they they need you, some. They need some heavy hitters. Could you imagine if James Gunn was just like fuck it, this is, like, part of the DC universe now to, like, just random horror movies. I feel like... I'm just saying there's no shot that James Gunn doesn't like this movie. There's just absolutely no way. This seems totally up his alley. So that's what I'm saying. Bring James Wan into whatever this new chapter is going to be, and we need to uh, see that happen. Oh, Gabriel versus Swamp Thing? I'm down for it. I'm in. Let's go. I'm in. I'm in. Just imagine. uh, I I just need uh, James Wan and James Gunn doing the Arnie, uh, Carl Weathers handshake. (laughs) Just bam. Like that's what we need right now. I guess now that I really think about it, Malignant does have the energy of a very shitty like early '90s comic book. Oh, totally. It has a little shades of Spawn in there. That wasn't going to be in my equation, but. There's uh there's so many um that are gonna be in my equation. Speaking of which, so um I guess we can go ahead and fold into our final thoughts here for the film out of out of five. Uh, I mean, what are trophies? We, trophies? I was gonna say like yeah, what do we call his weapon? But it is a trophy. So I mean yeah, five trophies. Uh, Reina, go ahead and give us our your final thoughts and score out of five. I love this movie. I feel like I'm one of the more vocal voices online about it. Um. Like, even when people stop talking about it, I would casually just say, hey, remember Malignant? And how fucking cool that was. <laughs> but um, 
realistically, like looking at the problems it has and the pacing issues and but how great everything else is, I feel comfortable saying like 3.5 out of 5 is like where I stand on it. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with loving a three and a half trophy movie, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's uh, typically my my hot mess category is a 3.5. I mean, this uh, fits in there to a degree, except I wouldn't say it is for the fact that it's intentionally this way. Hot messes kind of usually for me have the, the little undercurrent of, uh, uh, you know, not exactly the way that they want it. But, but uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with love. It. A lot of my favorite films are 3.5s out of fives. Uh, Garrett, what about you? Yeah, see, to me, this is where the, like, how do you rank? What is your, what is your out of five mean for you? For me, it's entirely based on enjoyment, not uh, at, like, the quote-unquote quality of the movie. Like, I'm not a fucking teacher. This doesn't have a, a rubric. So for me, um, there are some things that do kind of inhibit me from fully enjoying the movie. Uh, we talked about, like, a, a bit of a sluggish uh, kind of a second act there uh, and some perhaps a little underbaked uh, ideas about... Uh, uh, cycles of abuse and violence and all of those things. Uh, but for me, this is a banger. This is so fun. Uh, I also watch this like a sporting event and just like fist pump at the lines and the kills and the moments. It's a fucking blast. So yeah, this is a, a, a very solid four and a half out of five for me. And I would say it's being generous because like all of the complaints I, issue, uh, I kind of threw at this movie are definitely more than half a star, but it's made up with how much I love what, you know, I like, if that makes sense. So everything in there that doesn't work for me, there's like 10 moments that I just absolutely adore. But I did want to recommend uh, if y'all hadn't, uh, if you're wanting some like comic book sort of ideas with, you know, not necessarily the same thing, there's a great uh, cover, a great comic called uh, Killer Be Killed, which also has like some supernatural vigilante, uh, ultra violent thing, uh, things. It's a mm -hmm. uh, image comic. So uh, check that out if you guys are wanting something, again, not totally like this, but in the same kind of ballpark. Ooh, okay. I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm also gonna need you, Garrett, to um go find that tweet from that uh that one loser that was like criticizing people for not putting more effort into their letterbox reviews. Uh, I'm gonna need oh. you to go find that tweet and quote tweet. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's I I saw that thing and it's like it's social media. It's have fun, you know. It's also it's movies. Like it, I saw that these like oh no punctuations run on sentences. What a fucking nerd! I'm gonna throw you in a locker. <laughs> I I'm sorry that I gave it a serious review, but that's just my critic brain like kicking in. Oh no no no! I'm talking about like the way that he was like annoyed that people like are oh, like yeah, I need people to write longer reviews post. and to do better and like bro it's letterbox chill like yeah like get my out letter of here what's that line from a super batteries like it's fucking soccer it's like <laughs> it's the same thing yeah like like shit my letterbox review was like this is one of the hardest watches I've ever seen for and that was for infinity pool so Nice. Yeah. With that way, you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, no. Um, like, nobody takes that shit serious. Nobody takes social media serious. If you take social media serious, like... Especially letterbox though. Like, I, I always keep yeah, saying, like, every like, time one of those happens, I go, hey, this is uh those people that were making fun of in Scream 6. Like, uh, the, this is you. Um, but um, but, but uh, I'm, I'm there with you, Garrett, on this one. Um, I do feel like uh, the, the achievements of this definitely outweigh... Um, some of the flaws that I have because like I mean I feel like I'm 
being dramatic, but I'm not that like people are going to talk about this and remember it for like a long ass time. Gabriel is an icon. Uh, there's just so much fun to be had with it. It's like, yeah, like, like just like this gets the extra boosts in my score for just the sheer amount of joy it brings me. Like I watch this movie. I have a smile on my face the whole time. I love showing it to people. I've seen it, uh, I get, I think eight times, uh, according to my letterbox. Uh, like I, I just, uh, can't get enough of it. Uh, this was, a. uh, uh, just, uh, I finally got it on Blu-ray, all those things. Um, and I just, uh, I love this movie. I love Gabriel. I love everything about it. I love even the, the like obnoxious, like dramatic new metal esque score happening. Um, yeah. I mean, just like the, the, the levels of camp, like everything, just like it, this movie just really works. It's just great. Um, it, you know, endless cackling throughout. Um, so this gets a, uh, 4.5 out of five for me as well um you know it if, if it if it didn't have uh as many flaws as it did then yeah this was this is a five star but like you know i do gotta uh take a, a smidge off here and there but uh yeah so so i'm right there with you buddy um but uh let's see uh what other movies we were thinking about while we were talking about malignant <laughs> Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our conversations by playing uh, movie math. Uh, Reyna, we know it's been a minute since you've been on here, but don't worry. The rules are simple. Uh, you just have to take some movies that kind of reminded you of the uh, movie we talked about today and just put it in an equation. You can use math, division, multiplication, whatever. It doesn't really matter. So uh, have fun with it. <laughs> okay, my movie math for Malignant is... Uh, Deep Red plus House on Haunted Hill. And in parentheses, we got Terminator 2 Judgment Day equals Malignant. Just to clarify, you are talking about the remake House on Haunted Hill, I would assume. Yes, yes, to clarify, the 1999 Dark Castle one. Wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) The one that the Asylum straight up looks like it's ripping off. Yeah. Oh yeah, the 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 gigantic attic design in this is like definitely giving me shades of that. What's eat bread though? I have never heard of that one. I you said uh, deep red, not eat bread. <laughs> no, no. Did you say deep? You say eat bread? Is that what you said? I, yeah. Did I just like process that just now? I no, thought that said deep red, like the <laughs> the very famous horror movie, Deep Red. <laughs> I don't know how that's what I heard, and then I tried to look at that up on Letterboxd, and nothing came up. I was like, "What is this obscure movie? Eat bread, <laughs> eat bread." Oh, that's really no. Good. Uh, deep Red, the Dario Argento uh, giallo. That's like very like balls to the wall like bonkers i mean what other movie do you know of that that somebody's head gets ripped off by an elevator no i i do love deep red oh my god i'm in tears that's hilarious and then uh my terminator 2 justification is that like you put gabriel in an lapd uniform and you got you got terminator 2 right there with how unstoppable he is he can uh change his voice and everything too talk through technology and stuff i see it oh yeah So, so fun thing. So this movie is actually what inspired whenever I was like coming up with things and me and Garrett came up with movie math. 
This was actually the earliest movie math equation I've ever oh. done. It, uh, it, so this is straight from my letterbox review from the first time that I saw Malignant. So this was uh, the the uh, uh, initial equation. This is the the golden equation of movie math, if you will. Um, so I have <clears throat> in parentheses. We got Basket Case um, because, for obvious reasons, I'll let uh, Garrett talk a little bit more about that one. Um, plus Taurus Trap for the unexplained abilities. Um, and he does have the more split personality, which, again, I don't say is the thing here. But for the unexplained uh, powers and even the voice is uh, kind of similar to the voice he does when he like puts the mask on. Um, plus drag me to hell because of, uh, very much, uh, the kind of the tone and editing, especially in the back end. Um, but even, uh, the, the very opening as well. Um, you know, I feel like there's a, a few, uh, kind of Raimi isms hidden in this movie. Uh, plus, um, Kingsman. I know a lot of people were saying John Wick, but like that police station, uh, gave me Kingsman vibes of, uh, of that church scene. So all that in parentheses times in parentheses, uh, Dario Argento plus Dark Castle. Um, if Dario did make a early nineties uh, or late nineties, early two thousands Dark Castle movie, um, it might look a little something like this. Maybe I would hope. Um, so yeah, so uh, that is uh, my equation for *Malignant*. What about you, Garrett? I, oh, I see the Kingsman uh, uh, influence more than John Wick because John Wick, I think the the camera moves alone. Like uh, John Wick is way too like steady, where this is flying everywhere. And like you had said, you got kind of like the motion controlled camera, so you can have a lot of fun with it. So I see that as well. Um, in my equation, I also have uh, in parentheses, I have basket case, uh, like Devon uh, had uh, alluded to. This is we talked about earlier in the conversation. This is a movie about uh, uh, brothers trying to be separated from birth. The deformed one is trying to seek revenge. And there's this kind of like parasitic relationship between the two of them. And a lot of that uh, is explored uh, here as well as that movie. Uh, I have that plus split. Um, because there is uh, obviously in that like the multiple personality angle there's also a police procedural like mystery angle kind of happening there as well um, and then I have that with uh, sisters for kind of being like giallo adjacent like it's definitely mm -hmm. in the giallo camp but not quite and I think it it's, has that like American perspective like sisters has being a, a De Palma movie uh, so giallo like kind of neighboring uh, I have all of that in parentheses multiplied by upgrade uh, which is such a great movie that if you haven't seen it's not underrated. a horror movie but so underrated it is a f like fucking the movie slaps like it's so great so uh to me the action scenes in in this movie remind me a lot of of, of that film so yeah around here multiplication for us is like mostly like vibe so it doesn't have anything to do with like plot or tone or anything like that but they have very, very similar vibe it'd be a great double feature oh man i didn't even think of split Put Gabriel in the in the split universe. Um, I mean, I know they're they're all dead in that universe, but like, I mean, I feel like that makes even more sense than uh, any other superhero universe to be in. Uh, so I'm I'm down for that. I see the upgrade parallels as well, big time with uh, the the control of body and things of that nature. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I I haven't seen Sisters, but I do uh, really like that equation. I do need to see a malignant upgrade double feature because James Wan and Lee Winnell. Oh yeah! Like, oh wow! We need to. That would be great. Should we? Should we try to program that? 
We should Let's try make it program. Happen. We should program that somewhere. <laughs> oh that's my. a pretty. That's please, a pretty tight please. double feature. Yeah, do mm. it. Do it. Like, I would go to that in a heartbeat. Holy hell, that's a that's a killer double feature. Ooh ooh ooh. Well, um, that is actually on um uh, my agenda of things to try to make happen. So uh, hopefully we will have some uh, Spectre Cinema screenings out here in LA. Uh, very excited for that. But uh, Reina, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking with uh, the the eighth wonder of the world that is Gabriel and Malignant. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, what are you working on right now? Where can the people find you? Ooh, uh, you can find me on all social medias, Letterboxd included, at JFC Doomblade. Um, I am the lead gaming critic over at Bloody Disgusting. I've been reviewing a l- lot of new video game releases out there for y'all to read um if you care to read more about my take on body horror and specifically cronenberg i have an essay coming up in the new second site 4k release of crimes of the future um that releases in august that anyone can pick up um the 4k is a region free don't worry about region coding it's all on there that's very exciting congratulations Thank yeah, you, I did see you. that, and that is uh, that is I'm stoked for that because I love Crimes of the Future, so I'm definitely gonna be a uh, cop in that. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you guys can uh, follow me over on uh, Twitter, Letterboxd, as well as TikTok at Garrett McDowell. Uh, for more podcast goodness, you can subscribe to my other podcast, my uh, Star Wars podcast uh, at Garrett McDowell, or I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> at Scum and Villainy. Uh, but all of that is linked uh, in my Twitter at Garrett McDowell. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. Um, you can, um, I don't know if I plugged on here, but uh, I basically took our covenant episode that we did on here last year for pride month. And I wrote an article about that for hell press LLC um, about the, um, you know, um, the movie's reluctance to be queer, but even though it just is the queerest thing ever. Um, and why I love it. So uh, definitely you can go read that. You can also hear me over on the Pod and Pendulum. Uh, we just did a few John Carpenter episodes and I hopped on for Escape from New York and then I kind of took a dump on Prince of Darkness. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so you can go listen to those episodes. Uh, I, I know, Raina, I really wanted to love Whoa. that movie. <laughs> that movie, like, should have been for me and it just, like, did not work for me. Whoa. I know, I, I know. I know you go 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 read that and and you know where to direct your rocks, um yeah so um and we always have links to all that stuff in the description below um but this is the end of the uh, celebration of camp end of Pride Month um we do still have that bonus episode of um a little mini interview with Robbie talking about the Outwaters so I'll be dropping that here on the feed after this episode. Um, but Garrett, you want to uh, tell the people what we're talking about next month? I'm very excited to uh, tell the people what we have next month. Uh, we're doing internet horror, kind of some cyber horror, uh, hacking into the mainframe with Devon here. Uh, and we are kicking off uh, the month of July with Spree. So uh, be sure to uh, give that a watch if you haven't. Uh, but I'm very excited for all of our discussions, which are really shaping up to be like really different week to week, like crazy different. So uh, I think it's going to make for uh, a lot of uh, varied and fun conversations. Yeah, we're looking at technology. We're looking at social media. Um, we got some found footage, of course. I'm excited to get back into that a little bit. And um, yeah, we have a we have a nice varied uh, schedule for this month. I'm uh, super stoked to get into. But 
Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.